whenever I come back and I'm allowed to teach here, I always want to thank this church because this church has been so much to me as who I am as a person in shaping me and forming me. They give to me. Um, I wouldn't be in seminary right now if it wasn't for this church. I can tell you that right now. And to come back and say what a joy it is to be here today and serve you by opening up God's word. And I, last night we had a dinner and we were just talking about people that have shaped our life and people that have changed us. And uh, it was at Dr. Greg's house. And we were saying that, just kind of sharing people who have changed our lives and who have shaped us. And in that moment, there were people who were talking about Paul Phillips. And if I sat there and I processed through people who have changed my life, I would say if there was five people, Paul Phillips would be in that list. Paul Phillips is someone who I've seen for so long, over and over and over again, show me what it's like to be a man of God. And just to say, thank you. So, I'm humbled to be here today. I feel incredibly inadequate. And I'm just an ordinary sinning guy. So I'm just going to talk to you a little bit. But before we do, let's pray and just thank God that he's given us another day. Father, we come to you today realizing we are so inadequate. And we need your grace each day and every day. And how inadequate I feel at this moment to open your words and proclaim your words. Assist me today and may we sense your nearness today. May we sense your presence today. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for Jesus in your name. Amen. Um, July 6th, I'm sorry, June 6th, 1999 was the most important day in my life because I came to know Jesus for the first time. I was at that camp that Paul talked about. I was a Young Life camp in the mountains of North Carolina. And I went to this camp thinking, I'm just going to have the fun, great weekend. And uh, it, it was awesome. It was the best week of my life. But on that trip, a guy told me about this guy, Jesus, and said, you are someone who has grown up in sin, but this man came, got in the flesh, and died on a cross for you. And I sat down at probably a, a stump about this high for 15 minutes. And I just sat down and I said, you know, Lord, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But I want to. And I want to love you with my life. And I'm still trying to do that. And I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still trying to learn and love and become more like him. And we all have a story as believers. We have a testimony of how we came. And I don't know if you were five and someone stole your Legos and that upset you and you realized oh, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Or you were 30 years old and you came to know the Lord at that point. We all have a testimony. You might not remember the day that you got saved, but you do remember seeing your life changed by Jesus. And changed by knowing him and wanting to become more like him. And today we're going to talk about that testimony. We're going to talk about how great it is 
to be saved. How great it is to know Christ. And today we're going to be in Colossians. And I don't want this to be just a sermon where we say, oh, we got a new year. We're going to start off with a bang and we're going to be great for this next year. I feel like this sermon is a sermon we have to continually teach ourselves over and over for the rest of our lives. So we're going to be in Colossians today and we're going to talk about how this testimony we have should change our lives. And just kind of something to frame our time is our testimony is better than we think. Your testimony, your testimony is better than you think. And kind of how we're going to look at that is in Colossians here, we're going to look at how our testimony is better than we think. And there are two essentials that we'll see in Colossians here of how to understand our testimony, how to understand our salvation and to enjoy it and savor it and treasure it. So there's two essentials we'll see are remembering your situation and remembering your savior. So remembering your situation and remembering your savior. And we'll start by reading in verse 21. As we remember our situation. And Paul writes this. He says, and you. He writes to Colossae. And you, but by the inspiration of spirit. And you who sit here today at Christ Community Church. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. Before Paul has talked about who Christ is, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's talked about in Christ, we see the fullness of God, that Christ is God in the flesh. And now he's turning to a point to say, and you who were once alienated, he says, church Colossae, he says, Christ community. Remember your situation. He says, who were once alienated. And as I think about this alienation, this this word that kind of has this estrangement that we're cut off from. um, The first thing I think of is a movie that came out in 2000 called Castaway. And some of you have seen the movie. And for those of you who haven't, it's a character played by Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is on this island and he is uh, he was working with FedEx and the plane went down and he's stranded and alienated on this island. And the whole thing that keeps him pushing on is remembering his wife, remembering this woman that he was with and wanting to spend the rest of his life with her. And his desire to get off that island His desire to leave that island. And as much as I'd love to say that that's what our situation was like, our desire to leave that island, that was not our desire. We loved being alienated. We loved being cut off. We enjoyed our sin. And the reason we see this is because as we look here, he says, and he goes on, he says, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. 
And we know that we didn't desire to leave the island because of this hostile in mind. And if you looked at this in the Greek, it is he, we hated God in our mind. We hated him. And another way you would see this is as an enemy of God. It might say as an enemy of God in your translation. That we hated even the presence of God. And how did that show forth? It showed forth in our deeds. The thing you hear a lot in one thing I dealt with, I took a class at UNCW when I was in college called Atheism and Unbelief. And it was one of my favorite classes because I sat around a table with people and we dialogued about atheism. And we talked about why they believed it was right and why I believed it was wrong. And part of the class, we talked about morals. And one of the things that you realized was atheists believe they're good people. And if we do good things, then that is what is going to be acceptable in this life. And I started to express to them, well, without the covering blood of Jesus, there's nothing good that can be done. We are no one is righteous, as Romans 3 says. No one is righteous. And we realize very quickly that from this passage, we expressed our hatred of God in our mind and how we lived our lives. And you can see that. We longed for the things that of this world. We longed for doing those things. God was this distant thing maybe in our minds. And we might have even gone to church. But we hated God in our minds and we showed it in our actions. One translation says, and... We were hostile in minds, and it was expressed in our deeds. And I think this is a good picture to see of remembering our situation. Because if we don't remember our situation, it's going to be hard to receive a gift that we weren't supposed to get. It's going to be hard to see the true value of our testimony and how our testimony is better than we think if we don't remember our situation. If we don't remember that we loved being alienated. That we loved our sin. So Paul here is saying to us, you who were once alienated, remember that. Remember how you hated God. Remember how it showed forth in how you lived. Remember that. Because if you don't, you're not going to understand how great the gift is you've been given. So Paul says here, remember your situation. And I think a good verse to kind of help us come alongside this to really understand it is Ephesians 2. So we're just going to go back a couple pages in your Bible to Ephesians 2. And Paul here is writing to a sister church at this point in this area. And probably at some point the church in Colossians probably read the Ephesian letter. But here he writes sort of the same picture to this church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches. Remember your situation, as we see here in chapter 2. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I don't know how many of you grew up watching horror films or scary movies, but the fact is from this passage, we see that we live in a horror film or a scary movie every day of our lives because we live amongst zombies. This is what the passage says. There are dead people who walk. There are dead people who walk around us. There are people who we will interact with every day who are spiritually dead inside. And we see this picture as Jesus tells, as he calls for this man to follow him in Luke 9. And he says, follow me. And he says, oh, Jesus, let me please go bury my father. And, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus' response to him, he says, leave the dead to bury the dead. Now, if you're not really seeing that, there's no way really physically dead people can bury dead people. So he's saying, leave these spiritually dead people who are not going to pick up their, their lives, their cross, and leave behind everything to follow me. Leave that behind and follow me. So we see here that this situation was worse than we think because as we remember our situation, that we were not only hostile and alienated from God in our mind, we were dead. And I think this picture is kind of misconstrued today as we try to tell someone about the gospel. We, we say to them, you're drowning in this water and, and you want to get in the boat. And Jesus has thrown out this life ring to you. And if you just grab for it, then we can pull you in and be saved. And this picture is almost painting like you're fighting on the top of the water and you want to get in the boat. But the picture is horribly worse than we can imagine. The picture is we are dead on the bottom of the water. And worse than that, we deserve to be there. We deserve to be dead on the bottom of the water and not to have someone rescue us. This is our situation. This is the situation we have because of our sin and our love for this world and wanting to be alienated from God. And Paul here is saying, remember this picture. Remember this picture that you are dead. And he says here that you are by nature children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. So we by nature are children of wrath. That means we deserve nothing. From God. We deserve nothing. And he's allowed to leave us at the bottom of the ocean. And be just in that. Because we have decided to run as far and as fast away from as we can possibly get. This is what we deserve. And remembering this situation. It kind of helps us think a little bit about what we feel like we do deserve. Because most people, if you ask them, what do you deserve? You ask them, they will say, oh, I deserve this because... Of what I have financially. Or I deserve this because I'm in good shape. Or I deserve all these things. And the thing is, is we don't deserve anything. We deserve wrath. 
if you would, just real quick, would you take just a deep breath with me? Just, yeah. That breath right there was grace. Every breath that you have, every loving thing said to you, Daddy, every I love you, everything that you get that is pleasure in this life is grace because you don't deserve it. We deserve hurricanes all year round. We deserve destruct homes all year round. We deserve colossal waves coming in and crashing on Wilmington and destroying the city. That is what we deserve. And even worse than that, we don't deserve to be here today. We don't deserve that breath we just took. So as we ponder and remember our situation, we see how important it is to understand where we've come from if we're ever going to see how great our testimony is and how better it is than any other thing this world has to offer. So Paul says, remember your situation. Remember your situation. And I think this is very easy to see in practical demonstration. If you leave here today, one of the common things that you'll have happen is someone will say to you, how are you doing today? And you usually respond with, oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. Um, it's, it's well, if you're wondering the proper English. Um, but a thing in California is that you, a common response is, I'm busy. I'm busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. And, but, but you have to understand, busy is good. In their culture, busy is good. So you can say, oh, how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. But busy is good. So when you hear that, just understand that they mean good. But instead of leaving here today and you see someone, hey, how was your Christmas? How are you doing? If you change your words a little bit as a believer and say, I'm doing better than I deserve. Watch the response. Watch the response. Because as I've done this in California, went to a little Italian place I like to go to called Maria's. And walked into Maria's, the guy sitting there, hey, how are you doing? And I said to him, man, I'm doing better than I deserve. And he says, no, 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 you, you, you deserve everything. You deserve everything you get. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. I don't. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And he says, oh, well, well, yeah, you do deserve a good life. And but the people who kill people and stuff like they don't deserve the good life. So at that point of understanding that as we start to frame our words towards I'm doing better than I deserve, it causes us to think a little bit about why am I doing better than I deserve? It's because I understand my situation. It's because I've pondered my situation that I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve this breath that I've been given. I don't deserve all these things that God has given me. It is important to remember our situation. And this is the first essential we have to have in place if we're going to understand how our testimony is better than we think. And let's go back to Colossians as we finish up looking at the greatest news that will ever be given. And it's the second essential to how we understand how our testimony is better than we think. And our testimony is better than we think if we will remember our Savior. 
So the second step after remembering your situation is to remember your Savior. Remembering your Savior. And we see here in verse 22, he says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And the readers here in this book would not have been misconstrued here why Paul would include the body of flesh. Because in this time period, there is a tradition building called Gnosticism. Gnosticism hates the idea of matter. Matter is evil. So for them, Jesus was seen as a spirit. He couldn't have flesh connected to him because if he did, he would be evil. But Paul here is including this to show us an accurate picture of who Jesus truly is. We've seen that he is the image of the invisible God. And here he says, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh. And we see here as he moves in, he says, in order to present you. The problem today is we have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. We have a misunderstanding of what really happened. I was watching a show and they were talking about how do we get to heaven? And there are all these different traditions and different religions that they were presenting. And Christianity comes in and says, there is one way, as Paul stipulates here, is that in order to present you, the only way to be presented before the Father, holy and blameless, is through the death of his Son in his body of flesh. And you see this in sort of today, this understanding of the gospel as, oh, if I do all these things, if I just just get enough good stuff up to the table, then I'll be in good shape and God will miss all the bad stuff. And I was reading this article in the New York Times about a youth conference that they were having in Massachusetts. And they were talking about uh, the problems today with youth and how we're having struggles getting them into Christianity, getting them excited about it. And this conference, they had set up these different little barrels of fire. If you know what I'm talking about, just big, big little barrel and fire inside of it. And what they were wanting the students to do or these kids to do is to come and take your sin and put it in the barrel of fire. Put all these bad stuff you're doing in this barrel and that way you'll be seen as getting rid of that bad stuff. And see, at that point, we've misconstrued the gospel. As one person says, Tim Keller, who's on our front page of our bulletin, says, the gospel is not we are accepted because we obey. Or, I'm sorry, because we obey, we're accepted. But because we're accepted, we obey. It's because in order to present you holy and blameless, it's because Jesus came and died and that we believe in him is the only way we'll be accepted before the Father. Because of his perfect life lived in this life is the only way we will be presented holy and blameless before the Father. And if we look at that and we understand that, we see, wow, my testimony is better than I thought. Because there's nothing I can do to come before the Father. And this is the picture that we see is when we stand before the Father in heaven, what are you going to bring? What are you going to bring to the Father? Are you going to pull up, hey, 
I gave this much to the church or I went to the church all of my life. I did all these things and these are what I have to offer. And if we understand our previous situation correctly, we understand we have nothing to offer the Father. We have nothing to offer. But in some weird, paradoxical way, we come with bloody hands. Bloody hands covered in the blood of Jesus. And he says, you're clean. You're clean. It's important to remember our Savior. Because if we don't, we find ourselves falling back in this life of, oh, if I just do enough good things to get there, then I'll be okay. But as we come humbly and say, I have nothing to offer but the death of your son. And that's all I have. So it's important that we remember the Savior and remember the cross that he died on and paid a ransom to reconcile us in his body of flesh. I think a, a great way to demonstrate this, and some of you here who will remember this, is I went to Kenya um, a couple of years ago, and we went to, on a trip there. And one of the little kids that we were taking care of uh, was named Kim, a little boy. And basically what we did was we would feed them and then give them a bar of soap and say, hey, go down to the river. It's about two miles away. And there, clean up. Because these were street kids. They lived on the street. They were covered in dirt. Um, most of them were addicted to glue. That's the major um, drug used by kids there. It's cheap and easy to get. And they basically numb themselves to reality. And this little kid, Kim, um, was probably about a year old or two years old and was dirty, covered in dirt. And... As we were realizing, oh, he was wanting to fall, because all the older kids took care of him amongst the street kids. But as they were getting ready to go down to the water, they ran off to the water, and he was left behind and wanted to go with them. So I just scooped him up, and we were just kind of walking down the water. And as we're walking down to the water, he's looking at me in my face saying, who are you? In fact, in uh, Swahili, he said, uh, White guy. So that's all that I was known as. Um, but in that moment, as we were walking down the water, I just broke down crying because at that moment I realized this is me. This is me. Because I didn't want to go to the water. I had no capacity to get to the water. I had no ability to clean off myself, much less how to get there. But that Jesus came and picked me up and said, I will take you and clean you and give you a new life. And this is the picture that we see here. And I think a better picture to give of the drowning in the water story is that you aren't drowning in the water, but that you're dead at the bottom of the ocean. And that the father has called out and said, Paul, come to life. And Jesus goes into the water to the bottom of the ocean and grabs you and puts you in the boat and breathes life into you. That at that moment you can stop and ponder what true life really is. So 
We can't just remember our situation. We have to remember the Savior because there was no way for us to clean ourselves. There was no way for us to get to the water that was three miles away. But that he picked us up. And in that moment, maybe looking at him wondering, who are you? But that he came to save us. So remembering our Savior. And at this moment, we can't just say our testimony is better than we think. Or your testimony is better than you think. It's a matter of not only knowing this importance and remembering this importance, but enjoying this importance. If you could imagine growing up one day, um, you were wanting some Christmas present. And you probably thought, oh, my parents are going to get me this. But let's imagine that there was no possible way for your parents to scrounge up enough money to get you some present growing up that you wanted. And then you wake up that day to find it sitting there under the tree. And at that moment, you probably didn't say, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. Great present. That's what I wanted. Or you imagine some sports event. I think of uh, Duke, Kentucky, 92. One second on the clock. Christian Leitner, half court, feed. He turns, he shoots, he makes. He doesn't just turn and go, yeah, I just won the game. It's a good game. We won. Double overtime. We won. But it's a matter at this point of understanding our situation But not just understanding, but enjoying our situation. Enjoying our situation. So at this point, I'm going to read a verse and just listen to it. And as we understand it, Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells some of the stuff. No, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. I think for me, like one way to kind of demonstrate this, and I don't know if this is ethically wrong, but I was pondering it this morning is at our college that's connected with our seminary. They will put books on discounted price so you can get like a really great book for like a dollar because they don't need it anymore. And, you know, usually nothing's really great. But one time perusing the shelf, I found this book and was kind of bewildered. Is that supposed to be there? And I was looking for the call number and no, it was supposed to be there. And I didn't have any money on me at the time. So I'm thinking, how am I going to pay for this? I can't just walk out with it. So I'm thinking, all right, I found this and I was the first person to find this. So naturally, I take the book and I stick it in the back and underneath like all these books and I get back. I go to my house, buy the stuff, and come back to buy the book. And I think this is the picture that we see here in this passage. Is this, this guy has covered up so that he can go back and sell all that he has because he knows the joy that is found here. He knows the joy that is here. And this is what we're seeing as we ponder our situation and we ponder our Savior we realize our testimony is better than we think. And it's just not a matter of head knowledge, but that it should overflow into joy in our life. I was talking last night with a friend of mine. We were talking about Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards and all these dead guys. And we were saying how 
even though these guys are dead, how they still speak to us today. How they still speak to us today. And I think this is how Edwards would respond to Matthew 13, 44. He says, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. So as you, we live here in Wilmington, I think this is a great way to picture this, that God is the ocean. And what is Edward saying here? Edward is saying here that what we have done is as we've run out to the ocean that is before us here in Wilmington, we see this little pocket of water. You know what I'm talking about. Little like inch pocket of water. And we said, oh, look at this. And we sit down in it and we play in it and we enjoy it. And wow, this is great. And we hear this vague sound of something in the distance. But we realize we've missed out on the most enjoyable thing that this world has to offer. And that is knowing God. Knowing God. And that's what Edwards is saying to us today. He's saying, run to the ocean. Don't just stop at this little puddle of water. You're missing out on the most enjoyable thing in life. You're missing out on the most pleasurable thing you will ever take part in. Run to the ocean. It's not to say that the accommodations of this life and the grace that God gives us in family and friends and wives and husbands... We shouldn't enjoy those, but it's to say that don't just stop there. The only way to truly enjoy those things is to remember our situation, to remember our Savior, that we don't deserve those things. As we come into this next year, that we don't deserve anything in this life. We don't deserve to live in America. We deserve to be in somewhere else in the world where we experience famine every day. But that God has been kind to us. That we would remember our situation. That we would remember our Savior. And this is what Edwards is saying here. He's saying, run to the ocean. Run to the ocean. But the question is, why aren't we running? Why do we stop at the little puddle of water and play there for the rest of our lives? I think it's because we've forgotten our testimony. We've forgotten How great it is to know Jesus. We've forgotten that we were children of wrath. And that God has saved us. That he has opened our eyes to see the truth and behold his son. And we don't deserve that. But he's allowed us not to stop at water and little ponds or streams. But he's allowed us to enter the ocean and enjoy him forever. And the thing is, as we begin to understand this enjoyment, as we begin to understand that God has allowed us to enter the greatest joy and pleasure of this life, it will change the way we think about everything. It will change the way we live our lives. 
Christians should be the most loving people in the world because we realize that we deserve to be hated. Christians will realize that we are people who should be more merciful than anyone else in this world because we have been shown mercy when we should have been shown justice. Christians should be the most giving people in the world because we've been given eternal life when we should have been given eternal hell and separation from God. As we understand that our testimony is better than we think, we begin to realize that we didn't deserve this enjoyment. And because of that enjoyment, I will sell everything I have in this world to get that. I will give up everything I have to to get that. And our lives will be this thing that to a lost and dying world, they will actually might look on at that point and say, hmm, what is, what is he living for? What is she living for? Because it's certainly not the same thing I'm living for. But we've realized that we're saved. And that God has saved us. And I'm not under any pretense or illusion that some of you in here today probably aren't saved. Probably haven't come and accepted Jesus' death on the cross. But today is the day to understand your situation and to accept your Savior. Our testimony is better than we think. It's better than we think. And it's not only that we understand that, but that we enjoy that. That God saved us. That he picked us up and took us to the water. And along the way, we looked at him wondering, who are you? But he said, I've come to set you free. And you are free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we understand that we are unworthy to come before you without the blood of Jesus shed for us in his body of death on the cross. We are unworthy. We are unworthy people. But Father, we thank you. We praise you for your work. And we give everything up to you. Because of the joy found into it. The joy found in knowing you. The joy found in running to the ocean. Father Day, we praise you and we give thanks to you in more ways than one. We praise you for who you are. In your name, amen.